We made it to the end, to the Q&A. You can still send questions if you would like to ask a question. I can't guarantee that we'll get to them, but we will, we will, we will try. Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy in allowing us to contemplate what it means to pray. It's only because of Christ that we have access to you. It's by your Spirit that we, we pray according to your will. And so, Father, would you uh, help the speakers uh, this afternoon to uh, give wisdom uh, on practical nature of prayer, that we might be encouraged and helped. Uh, thank you for Tommy. Thank you for Corey. Thank you for Providence. For all that, all those who have helped with the seminar, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So these are going to be pretty much for anybody. So anybody can just. There's not like, hey, this is for. Um, this one's for everybody. Dennis says, "Are those stools comfortable?" <laughs> Very. <laughs> you spent your question on that. <laughs> You don't get another question. So one of the questions that I found, um, start with one of these, why is it so hard to pray? Why do we sometimes think it's so hard to pray? Um, because we have so many things to do. And this it, it seems inactive. We know it's not. But we know a lot of things that we don't do, right? It just, it, it, it seems so passive when we're called to be so active. I think about, I, I think about the armor of God. Corey, you mentioned the armor of God, or did Alan? Well, kind of. Kind of, kind of yeah, mentioned yeah, yeah, the armor of God. Kind of. No, we have, it's all defensive. Right? It's to protect, it's, except for the sword of the Spirit and the prayer is the only offensive weapons we have, but it just seems like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me. Uh, Corey may yeah. probably has a better answer. No, not better. I mean, I just, yesterday I mentioned it in, I don't remember if it was in the session, opening session or breakout, but about listening to Burke Parsons' answer on the question, what why don't I feel like praying? And one of the things he talked about was it feels unproductive. And he said, we're, we're kind of in this age of productivity where we just want to get going and we want to do, and it seems so counterproductive to pray. Um, and so you have that aspect of it, like that we, we measure success based on how much we've gotten done. Um, and so um, I was also thinking about it, most of the things that I think either of us say are because of things we've heard others say, um, or you know, we, we've... Um, so I heard Don Whitney talking about this. He said it's easier for, for a church to measure um, a pastor's worth by his public duties. So when I preach or teach, um, those things you see. But you don't see my prayer life, my private prayer life. However, if my private prayer life is faltering, that will eventually become evident in my public responsibilities as well. But there can be, so and not just thinking pastorally, but thinking about in all of our lives, how these things we do, 
we, we measure our success based on what we've done, how we've done it, all these outward things. And so whether you're mom, dad, whatever you might be, it can be very easy to say, okay, I did this, 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 and this. And yet we neglect prayer when prayer really undergirds so much of what we do. And eventually, our, I mean, it shows. You, you know in your own lives when you have those seasons of, of, of drought, of prayerlessness. But all, I mean, other reasons, I mean, Tommy mentioned the, the armor of God. That also goes to the war. I mean, the war against our souls. I mean, prayer is one that, I mean, it is, um, of course it's going to be hard. Because this is one of God's ordained means to draw us near to Him. I mean, we're in a spiritual warfare. And so I think that that would lead into it as well, of why it's hard. So, Yeah, that's good. So thinking about why it's hard and then thinking about how we often don't feel, you mentioned that, well, we don't feel like praying. What, what are some maybe practical steps that we can take when we don't feel like praying? Or that we realize after this seminar that we're generally prayerless. Just do it. That's good. That's good. Oh, uh, somebody's book, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of things I don't want to do that I have to do. Uh, and some things it's not as harmful to put off. Mm-hmm. It's harmful to put off spiritually. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was that was John Preston's advice. Well, the Puritan as well. I mean, what's the solution to prayerlessness? Is to pray. Um, it may you need to. It's like exercise. I mean, so think about it. If I'm if I say I'm too weak to exercise, but I want to be strong. Well, think about that. I mean, that doesn't make sense. It's like I've got to exercise to get strong. So think about prayer. I mean, it's like if I say, well, I just. I, I can't pray. I'm not praying enough. We'll begin praying, praying. And, and what Bert Parsons, I've been going back to him again. He said, remember that you can pray to God to help you pray. Um, just such a good reminder. So simple, but pray to God to help you pray. And, I mean, there's disciplines we could talk about. I, mean, I, I think I would take a lot of time here, but it's um, um, add prayer to that list. As I pray through the Bible, I mean, one of the things that I was doing last year, actually the last few years, I would read through the scriptures and I would stop once I um, found something in scripture that I could pray. And so it was part of that and mixing in the word and prayer. And so adding that into your your routine, um, but also we don't want to make prayer just a routine or an obligation, but we do need to make times to do these things, but also remembering you can pray anytime anywhere and so i think thomas answer is good just do it pray start doing it that's good okay so you you uh you address this a little bit uh does sin hinder my prayers and how how does it hinder my prayers yeah i mean it blinds us for one i mean our pride comes in, we don't see our need, it's self-sufficiency. I mean, sin is not rational. And so sin, I mean, like, I mean, it, it, it's, we deceive ourselves. And so it just, it, it clouds us. I mean, that's what Preston's words were there, how sin blinds us and how it hinders us. And it takes us down paths that we're not, I mean, not, it takes us down ungodly paths as well. And as we get down ungodly paths, I mean, we're not looking for godly means. I mean, there's not godly 
you know, so, so it takes us in a way, takes us away from those ordinary means of grace. I would say sin, our sin, takes us away from God and prayers communion with God. So, I don't know if it was a Preston quote. It was, it takes us the opposite direction. Yeah. 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 Thinking yeah. upon God. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. The, the Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit, and you've quenched the Spirit, you've grieved the Spirit when you're sinning, and so the power of the Spirit goes away. The uh, uh, promptings of the Spirit, uh, the insight that the Spirit gives as He leads us. <laughs> so, thinking about that, are the prayers of some Christians more effective? Well, I just stopped the rain. <laughs> and it came. But no, I mean every Christian can pray effectively. I mean the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goes back to the holy hands, uh, blamelessness before God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it depends on what you mean by effective. Effective. I that, yeah, I think that's the the, the <coughs> how you define. Okay, what does it mean to be effective? Uh, I guess that's a good question. Maybe it could mean, does it accomplish? Uh, what depends on what's it accomplishing. Are you praying for change or, 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 or what, you know, just thinking in terms of being uh, sin hindering our prayers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just thinking about that and a little bit further would be, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Good question. I mean, Scripture says he does not. I mean, now we could say the the unbeliever whose heart is changed, yes, but I mean, it says he does not hear the prayers of the wicked. Uh, I mean, in a sense, God's ears are closed off to the wicked. I mean, he hears the prayers of the righteous, but he does not hear the prayers of the wicked, not because he can't hear, but because think about the wicked man. I mean, think about how do we pray? What, what's the means of prayer? It's through Jesus Christ. I mean, we pray through Christ, through the, by the blood of Christ, how we draw near to the throne room of grace. The wicked man can't draw near to the throne room of grace because he's not drawing near through Christ. Mm. And so, in all reality, the wicked man is not going to pray to God anyways. He can pray to some semblance of God because the, the fool, the, the non-believer, I mean, he, he does not know God. And so, who he's praying to, maybe he's been catechized well or she's been catechized well, but the, the wicked person is not praying with godly affections, not praying to God through Christ. So, God, therefore, does not hear the prayers of the wicked because the wicked is not praying, even praying accordingly. The wicked, of course, is praying amiss. So, as James 4.3. That's good. Um, so here's a question about fasting. If it is, this is an, a, an assumption, but if it's an Old Testament thing, quote, as some have told me, how do you explain Jesus' commands about when you fast? And then if it is still a helpful accessory to prayer... How can I find spiritual benefit? What's the function? And why do we never fast as a, as a church, as the Puritans did? It's a lot on fasting. Go. You, want to go? you got the Puritan answer. <laughs> I don't have the Puritan answer. <laughs> I don't have the Puritan answer. I mean, I can start if you want to go ahead. fill in. Go ahead. All right. So this will disappoint some, I'm sure, this answer. Um, but here, um, whenever I came to Providence, one thing... Um, I don't see him here. I don't see Bruce. But Bruce um, was the one who 
helped me think through this. And um, he went to Mark 2. And I'll just read it. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And so the way I've come to understand this passage now is that the bridegroom was taken away for a few days. He was arrested, beaten, crucified, buried, and then raised up. And then he was back with them. And then when he's back with them, we see on the shore, uh, whenever Peter, they have a meal, they feast. And so the way Bruce um, helped me see this, um, I, I, I humbly admit I could be wrong here, but that we have Christ. Matthew 18, or Matthew 28, very last verse, I am with you always, so that Christ is with us. Um, and so that idea Today is not a day of fasting, it's a day of feasting. We see the Lord's Supper, we have that feasting there. With that, um, I would not ever say that fasting is wrong or sinful. I think it can be very useful. But, I mean, there's times where you may fast. I mean, you know, we live in a day where it's good. I mean, I know that fasting in the Bible is going to typically be food. Um, but we live in a day where it's sometimes good to put aside our technology or our, our phones. I mean, that, 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 that can be good things for us to do. So I think fasting can be valuable, can be useful. Um, if I was going to lean towards us fasting, I would prefer corporate fasting. I mean, that's the examples we see in Scripture, churches fasting. I mean, there's Acts 13 where they're fasting and praying about sending out missionaries. Um, but my answer would be it's not an obligation today now that Christ is with us. Um, but I don't want to take away the usefulness of it. I don't want to discourage anybody from fasting. I think it has value, um, if, if you think it has value there. But I would say it's not an obligation. Um, do you have anything there? No, I, I, think, I think we, uh, we, need, we know ourselves. And I think that if we need to, uh, if we have liberty not to fast, if we do, yeah. And I think we do. If we have liberty not to fast, we may, as an individual, decide I need to. Um, just like we we may go farther than the Scripture personally and be more rigid, uh, maybe what would be called legalistic, if, if I choose not to uh, exercise a Christian liberty, Maybe I'm going away from fasting into a different area of Christian living. But if, I, if I'm free to do something, but I know myself and I don't need to be doing that and I restrict that, that's okay. But if I tell Trent he can't do it, that's legalistic, right? If the Bible doesn't. Do, and, and so I would hold this to be a conscience and a freedom issue uh, that some people, this is going to be very, very helpful to them. I've not ever been involved in the practice for some of the reasons that you've given. So maybe I should. I mean, historically, history is not on our side. Our view is not uh, the majority view. History is definitely not on our side. Um, And so with that, um, I would never want to turn anybody away from the practice, but I wouldn't like, I mean, I I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to make it a law. I guess is what you're saying there too. Mm -hmm.
So, yeah, I remember. I think I think it was Piper who talked about. I'd rather uh, read the Word of God, and I want to hunger so much that I want to read the God, Word of God before I eat my breakfast. I want. I'm not saying that's a a must, but the idea. I guess it can be beneficial, but not a requirement. That's what I do every day. Yeah. That's, uh, I took that from Piper. Oh, nice. That view, I mean, that, um, that's a built-in accountability measure. For I like breakfast. Piper said he liked breakfast. I like breakfast, too. Mm. Um, and so, but I read my Bible first. Um, that's the thing before I eat breakfast. And if I don't read my Bible, I don't eat. Yeah, it's so, good. So I read my Bible because I want to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but... So if we're thinking, and we ha- I think we had this question uh, before, but maybe it was in the Bible Institute. So how is it proper to direct prayers to different members of the Trinity? How would this be done properly? That must have been in your Bible Institute. <laughs> I don't remember. Really it, it was. It was, actually. <laughs> I don't think we had an answer, so maybe we have one now. No, I mean, well, we looked at it. Um, so once again, I wouldn't say it's wrong to pray to different members of the Trinity. But I would say, what are the examples? I look at the example of Christ. And I look at also how we pray, um, how, how we approach God. And so I look at the example of Christ. Christ prays to the Father. He's full of the Spirit, praying to the Father. Christ is our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf. And so we pray to the Father through Christ by the power of the Spirit. Um, that's how I would um, encourage prayer. But I don't want to discourage um, I don't want to be legalistic here. I mean, I, I, the Valley of Vision has prayers to Christ and prayers to the Spirit as well, um, some good prayers. But I just want, I think a good practice is to be Trinitarian in our worship and in our prayers. And one way to be Trinitarian and to follow a biblical example, biblical model, pray to the Father through Christ, because we come to Christ, we come to God through Christ by the power of the Spirit. So you think about, we have uh, Romans 8, the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness Christ intercedes for us on behalf of the Father, or I'm sorry, before the Father. And so think about that. I mean, I just think there's something to our prayers going through the Spirit, through Christ to the Father, through the Son to the Father, um, the Trinitarian prayer. Because on our own, our prayers are not going to be, um, they're not going to be sweet and pleasing <laughs> to God, but they are through Christ by the Spirit. Um, so I don't know if that helps, but that's... Yes. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, that's good. That. Biblical practice. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry. So I read, I pray the Valley of the Vision prayers. So when we pray that, is that that's somebody else's prayer? How do we when we're when you're talking about praying the scriptures, praying? How does that make it our prayer? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think. Uh, well, you want to answer that one? They, go ahead. If you uh, a similar way thinking. Um, so. Whenever someone else is praying here, so just to give an example, so um, let's say Alan, he, he prayed this morning to lead us off. Um, with that prayer, I'm not physically, or I'm not saying the words he's praying, but I'm affirming his prayer. I'm saying, you know, amen through that prayer. Um, and so in a way, that his prayer is also my prayer corporately. And in a way, I think the Valley of Vision, can, we can pray it that way. We can learn from their prayers as well. Um, I will sometimes take Valley of Vision prayers and modify them, um, like even when I pray corporately, because they're so, so good. Um, but I'll modify them a little bit more, be pertinent to us today, because I, I'm learning from them. So I'm not, it's just like the Lord's Prayer. I'm not using it as a, 
I've got to pray verbatim these words, but you know, I might even pray through the Lord's Prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and, and, and go off a little bit on that, um, and just that I would trust you, O oh God, for my daily bread. And so um, I would say taking those prayers, the prayers of Scripture, and praying to God, um, obviously we are praying words that aren't ours, but I think as we pray, they become ours in a sense, and as we... It, in some ways, add in our own heart to that as well. I don't know if that's helpful there. Yeah, Don Whitney, when he taught us, we had a, a prayer seminar in probably 2000, and, when, and, and personalize it when you pray the Word. Uh, you know, uh, I was uh, taught at one point, uh, Romans 6, 1, what shall we do? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, no. What shall I say? What am I going to say? What shall I say? Should I continue in sin? God forbid. How can I, who am dead to sin, live in it any longer? You make those, you pray the scripture, but you personalize it uh, and change the pronouns and change some of the tenses and things like that. And it becomes your personal prayer as you pray God's word. You know, we can pray his very word back to him. Some of the doxologies. but then you personalize some of these scriptures, and, and even I would I would agree with the Puritan prayers because they are so um, they're so high, they're as high as the Psalms. Almost. I mean, I don't want to put the Puritans with the, with David, but you know what I mean. They are they are just so high in their exaltation and exaltation, uh, uh, bringing your soul up to God, lifting your eyes to Christ. They're so uh, powerful. Seems to me. It's good. So, when someone is sick, do we pray for healing or for God's will? Yes. They answer that. They answer the answer to that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, And again, what my breakout with Paul's prayers, he always does so that. So, we have a. We want them to be healed. Do we want them to be healed just so they're comfortable? Paul says, you know, whatever he says, he prays his request so that God might be glorified. So you might be glorified in Him. So that by healing them, they might live a life they couldn't live if they weren't healed. You know, there's a purpose to the healing. That's what I learned as I looked at all those prayers of Paul's in his letters. He's always got a purpose, not just the request. We don't want to stop at the request. Because some people get healed just to neglect God. You know, they come to God, ask for healing, and then they get better, and there's a situation that's fixed, and they don't need Him anymore. That's good. That's helpful. So, thinking about the Psalms specifically, I'm sure you can guess the imprecatory prayers in Psalms. It seems that the psalmists uh, seem to have no problem praying for the wicked to be destroyed. Should we, or how should we employ the imprecatory Psalms? That's a good question. I don't. I didn't come up with that one. Someone sent that one in. Yeah. Um, the yeah. going to Revelation in Revelation six, 
when the fifth seal was opened, um, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they have borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Um, I would say that's similar in terms of praying for judgment upon the wicked. Um, I think we want to be careful praying for God's judgment on individuals. I mean, would you want to pray for God's judgment upon you? Um, but, I, but I do think it's consistent with Scripture to pray that God would judge the wicked. Um, because, God. I mean, in, in Revelation what we see, and I think you see the same thing implied in the Psalms, God will be glorified in His judgment. God will be glorified as He... Um, as, as his wrath is poured out on all unrighteousness. Um, how direct we want to be on that? Um, I, I don't, I'm always a little shaky on, the, on some of David's prayers, strike down my enemies, um, and there's some pretty harsh stuff. But, but also, we don't, we, don't wanna, we don't want to dismiss that. I mean, that's the word of God. Um, and so, um, I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've looked into this. I think Jim Hamilton has some good stuff on on this. I don't know if it's in his commentary, but I know he's written some things on those. So I would recommend looking him up on the imprecatory psalms there. Shouldn't we pray for the wrath of God to come on them so that they will be broken and come to him in salvation? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's good. I mean, praying that God would save the... Yeah, that he would judge and save. Salvation comes through judgment, yes, sir? Yeah, I mean, if you're praying for God's judgment and justice... I mean, you can pray for salvation, too. Because if Christ does come Mm -hmm. there, then they are justified. Then that's justice. It's good. It's good. You know, think about Luke 6. You know, uh, in the same way you judge, you'll be judged. Mm -hmm. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, Father, forgive me just like I forgive everybody else. Mm. And some of those... uh, Warnings, beware, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the the justice of God will bring wrath upon sinners, mm-hmm. and we want justice. Not we want justice in the end. Mm-hmm. The justice of God to prevail. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to end up being like Jonah and uh, not wanting God's grace to go upon His people, and so we pray for. Their judgment always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Um, so, <laughs> Tommy sent this one in. So I don't know if you want to answer your own question. <laughs> <laughs> God is impassable. God cannot be provoked to anger. Yet God is, as Psalm 11 says, feels indignation towards sinners every day. Can you explain? I'll answer that like Jesus did. <clears throat> what do you think it means? <laughs> he answers a question okay. with a question all the time. Okay, that's a quote out of your sermon, out of your message. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, okay, so, okay. So God's. So th- think about. So when we talk about God being impassable. There's all. There's also that aspect that God is not having to move or to be actualized. He doesn't. He's. 
He's, there's no potential in God where he has to become loving or become wrathful. He just infinitely is always dynamic, all of those things, always because he's perfect. And God's goodness, he, because he is perfectly, infinitely loving, he is always opposed to anything and everything that is in opposition to his goodness. And so God is not necessarily grieving over sin, but as he himself is suffering a change, but, but that his people, when they suffer change because we are grieving or we are hurt or we are suffering or persecuted, um, God doesn't grieve over that and change to love us, but he grieves in so much as his perfect love is infinitely always uh, wrapping his arms around us, so to speak. And so there's a way in which God is grieving, but he's not actually grieving. He is perfectly, infinitely, always actualized in his essence and his attributes fully. So he's always wrathful, always just, always loving um, because he is infinitely good and always opposed to sin. And so it's not a uh, roller coaster of uh, grief. It's um, it's his love and goodness. It's always opposed to sin. I don't know if that is. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> okay. So going back to a hard question, thinking about God not answering the prayers of unbelievers, of the unrighteous. There's a couple of questions that got sent in. Um, One is, how can I teach my young, unsaved children to pray while not leading them into the sin of presumption or falsehood? And similarly, should we let our unbelieving children pray during family worship since God will not hear the prayers of the unbelieving? I mean, I've got thoughts. Go ahead. Well, first thing I would say, how do we teach them? So what were the questions again? How do we teach them to pray? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pray? yeah, yeah. You, you want, yeah. The, the, the last one is, should we let our unbelieving children pray during family worship since God will not hear the prayers of unbelievers? <clears throat> okay. And the other one, give me a sec, is how can I teach my young unsaved children to okay. pray yeah while not leading them into the sin of presumption or falsehood. Okay, so I'll just think through, I'm going to throw out some thoughts. This isn't um, systematic or orderly, but first of all, I'd say model, exemplify prayer. Make prayer a part of your home, a regular part of your home. So pray. Pray for your children. Pray for them. Um, Not just apart from them. Yes, pray for them apart from them, but pray for them when you're with them. Give them the gospel. You're right, how does that help with prayer? Well, John Bunyan, in his book, well, he has a book that's compiled of two, um, I think, um, treatises on prayer that he wrote. One of them, he said, you want to teach your child to pray? Teach them what a wicked sinner they are and teach them about the greatness of Christ, the glory of Christ. And as God opens their heart and they see their vileness and they see the beauty of Christ, then they'll run to God in prayer. Um, That was Bunyan's thoughts. You don't have to agree with him, but that's how Bunyan put it. So model prayer, 
Pray for them. Give them the gospel. Don't discourage them. Uh, we don't want to discourage our kids. We don't want to. Um, we don't want our kids to be discouraged from praying because you know it's one thing where we want to teach our kids good godly habits. We want to teach our kids to read the Bible. We want to, we want to have our kids. So we want to train our children in the ways of God. Um, the way I understand children is disciples to be evangelized. So we're discipling them, we're raising them in God's ways, and we're also giving them the gospel, calling them to Christ. So we don't want to discourage them. We don't want to. Um, we don't want them to see prayer as something that's unattainable for them. But I would argue the primary prayers in your home should be the parents, especially the father, interceding on behalf of his family. Um, don't forego this privilege and this responsibility. This is an awesome privilege and responsibility to pray on behalf of your family, to pray on behalf of your kids and dads especially. Don't forego that responsibility. Um, I would say don't let your children who are at best immature Christians, they are. I mean, if you have a seven or eight-year-old or nine-year-old who's a Christian, at best they are an immature believer. Right? I mean, they're not going to be, if you've been walking with Christ for 30, 40 years, or however long you've been a believer, your child is going to be an immature believer at best. At worst, they're unbelievers. Don't let them be the primary intercessors on behalf of your family. Teach them to pray, catechize them about prayer. So teach them about prayer, encourage them to pray. Um, I would say tell them that they can pray to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Encourage them to pray. Remind them to thank God before they eat. Remind them to do that. that, That's an obligation. They should thank God for food, for their daily bread. They should thank God for these things. I would say ask them for thanksgivings. What are things they're thankful for? Um, you don't want to discourage your kids from praying, but I think you want to model prayer for them. You want to intercede on behalf of them. I mean, you are, you're responsible. You've been given care for them. I don't want to make a law here, so I'm not going to make a law in terms of should they pray or not, um, because we don't want to discourage them in prayer, but I do want to put kind of the heart of it as a parent. You've been given an awesome privilege and responsibility to pray on behalf of your kids. And Susanna Spurgeon, when she prayed before her sons, I mean, she's, I I can't find the quote. It's in Susie, the book. Um, It's in there. Um, I need to go find it. But she said something along the lines of, um, as she's praying before both of her boys, she says, Lord, I will stand before them in judgment, on judgment day if they don't come to you. And I will, you know, because they know the gospel. They've heard it clearly. If they reject you, I, my hands are washed clean. I have given them the gospel. I mean, she set the gospel. I mean, I'm sure her husband, Charles Spurgeon, did too. But as a mother, she set the gospel before them, and she prayed for them in such a way that one of the sons is like, yeah, our mom's prayers are pretty terrifying. <laughs> um, so, um, but think about that. Do you pray in such a way that your kids understand the gospel? I mean, do you pray for them that way? And do you pray and intercede on behalf, I mean, I, I think that you should do this before, with them. Pray before God that he would save their souls. Um, pray before God, if they are believers, that he would mature their faith. Pray for them, pray with them, model these things for them. But remember, 
I, I, I just I don't want our children to be the primary intercessors in our home. I think we have something backwards when we do that. Um, so think about that. I don't want to make a law. I'm not making a law here, but just think about it whenever we um, consider our children praying. So, Yeah, so I guess in, in summary, the way that you see to not as a law, but as a, a helpful practice is to teach how to teach our children to pray is by modeling prayer for them, yeah. to being a prayerful family, a prayerful father. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think of it somewhat as the prayers that I mainly want my children to worry about praying is the prayer for salvation. Um, And so every night with the children, I'm always praying that God would change their hearts, that it would convict them of their sin, um, uh, that God would save them and draw them to himself. And so they hear that every night that I pray with them. Um, And so my hope is that they will know how to pray yeah. as that time comes, as they're convicted, Lord willing, convicted of their sin. Yeah. We teach so. them the Lord's Prayer. I mean, in our catechism, That's good. we do. Yeah. That's good. I mean, our catechism teaches the Lord's Prayer. And so we're teaching them. And I mean, how did Jesus teach his disciples pray? He told them the Lord's Prayer. Um, the catechism that we use with our kids, it teaches through the Lord's Prayer. I think that that is a good um, aspect. Now, the thing is, in our catechism, it's towards the end, and, and not every family gets to the end. I get it. You know, it's the way we kind of, I mean, it gets hard. Um, but, the, but that's something to set before our kids, um, that, that teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And, that, and that's something that if you look at all the catechisms pretty much that we would um, affirm that are from 16th century on, they all do the Lord's Prayer. I mean, Luther, yeah, Calvin, yeah. And, and some systematic yeah. theologies go through yeah. it. I mean, Wilhelmus Brackle, he has a whole giant section on mm. the Lord's Prayer. Sproul has that book we gave away on mm. the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. The section in the back of that book, does prayer change things? Sproul mm. goes through the Lord's Prayer yeah. um, as a model for yeah. how we should pray. Yeah. All right, yes, a couple right. more. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. As a resource for teaching your kids about prayer, there's a book on the, in the bookstall. It's Yellow by Nancy Guthrie, Everything Your Kid Needs to Know About Prayer. It's very helpful. It goes through the Lord's Prayer also. Um, yeah, I think it's right. I think one, yeah, there's only one left. Something needs to order those. I know. Something needs to order those. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between the Spirit's intercession and Christ's intercession? If so, what? Well, the Spirit's intercession is what too deep for words, and Christ is our advocate at the right hand. Uh, defending us. What more can I don't know what else we can know for sure uh, about those different intercessions. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit's praying. One's priestly, one's indwelling. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's Words, good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be a longer question. I thought that was going to provoke some. <laughs> I have to think about some more. Okay, so as we think about, maybe we can make this a little bit longer. We can we brush this one out. <laughs> How can I pray for PBC? Like when we're thinking about that, I mean, um, we get prayer requests. James sends out prayer requests. Not everybody that, not everyone we know, um, but if we're thinking about providence, what, how should we be praying for our congregation, for our people? You just taught on corporate yeah. prayer. 
Yeah. Um, again, I, I go back to Paul, who uh, it's he thanks God for their love for the saints, and he asks that they have grow in the knowledge of God with a spirit with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he got knowledge, un, wisdom, and understanding. He's praying for. In, in, in most of his prayers for the churches. And he's thanking God for their faith and their love for the saints and their realization of the hope. So he's got faith, hope, and love in most of them, and then spiritual wisdom, understanding, and growing in knowledge. That's, that's general, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So growing in grace and knowledge, and then this is in Paul and Colossians. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, mm. so our walk, um, how we live. So, obviously, growing. I mean, praying that we would grow in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and that we would walk rightly, um, living in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, praying that we bear fruit in every good work, um, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience. I mean, a lot of times the the churches that Paul is praying on behalf of, they're experiencing um, some persecution or it's about to come or false teaching is about to come and he's praying for these churches that the Lord would uphold them, uphold them. And um, so I think that, uh, yeah, just building on yeah. what you said there. You know, I mean, we have some specific needs here. Yeah. Of course, we need uh, foresight. <laughs> we're very, we're good at hindsight. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, we need some foresight. Uh, all right, we got nine elders sitting in a four-hour elders meeting at the last Sunday of the month. Remember us there mm. with uh, uh, no decisions made without unanimity. So decisions take many, some decisions take a long time before we can come to a unanimity. Pray for pray for the leadership, mm-hmm. Corey and I and Alan and whoever preaches that the pulpits. Faithful. And pray for unity, leaders in the body. Ephesians 4, I mean, talks about the unity of the church. I mean, pray that the church would be one. The church is one, but pray that we would be one. Um, those, this, all those kind of um, seeming paradoxes in Scripture, um, in a sense, we are one, but yet we're becoming one. Well, how is that? Well, there's positional, and then there's who we are. So praying for the unity of the church, the oneness of the church. I mean, one thing we see in Scripture, how quickly it seems like division can come in and um and we can can be haughty and proud and think that never happened to us but pray that the lord would keep us and unite us and continue to unite us i mean the the ephesians 4 that um the passage about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry um would always see there is the how long do we do that um the work of the ministry well what's the work of the ministry it's the building up the body um but how long until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that's going to be a lifelong task for all of us, growing in oneness, um, attaining to the maturity of, of the fullness of Christ, lifelong, so that we may be no longer be children tossed to and fro, that God would keep us from these human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes and that we would speak the truth and love to one another and that we would grow up 
in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I mean, I know these things are kind of theoretical, not necessarily, uh, well, I shouldn't say theory. These are um, seem more abstract, but like, how do we do that? Well, so the unity, pray for our elders to be one, pray for our body to be one, but pray that our relationships would, would be, that we would be growing together, that we would be formed by the word, that our conversations would be Christ-exalting, that we would take what we hear taught and preached, and we would talk on those things, that we would take the word and encourage one another in the scriptures, that we would pray for one another. Um, I mean, that is something that is very easy, I mean, and pray that we would be a praying church. I mean, we have, we pray, but that we would be a praying church, that we would continue to pray. I mean, how I'm sure you've probably told someone, I'll pray for you, and then you've walked off and forgot about praying. Um, but praying for one another, um, you know, just and praying for the teaching of the word, praying for the hearing of the word. I mean, I think about Jesus' parable on the soils, the parable of the soils. Hearing is so important. Pray that the word would go forth, but also pray for the ears to hear. I mean, if we're just praying for the preacher or just praying for the teacher, we've actually only done half. Because we pray for the hearing, pray that hearts would be softened, pray that the, the, the word would go forth and that we would be transformed to be like Christ. Um, just a few things there. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Just a few. Okay, so a few minutes left. Open it up, I guess, to questions. Does anybody have a, a question that they didn't send that they would like to ask? On prayer, specific. If not, we will end up. We will. We will. We will close. But I want to give an opportunity for you guys to ask questions. I want to make sure that it's okay that uh, when we're teaching our kids to pray, which all of us are grown, but we always let the kids pray. They want to pray at the dinner table. They want to thank God for the for dinner and stuff like that. That that's okay. I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't make a law on it. Um, I'm not going to say it's not okay. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, get, talk against it. Um, I would encourage them to thank God for food. Um, what I'll sometimes do with our boys when they want to pray, I'll let them pray and then I'll close it out. So I'll let them thank God for these things. Now, sometimes they'll get upset with that. They won't want me to do that. And that shows the pride in their heart. Um, it shows why I want to pray as well. But I'll, I'll a lot of times do that where I'll include them because I don't want to discourage them. But I'll have, if, if they are like, I want to pray um, and thank God for the food or, you know, just pray right there. I'll let them and then I'll pray after them and, uh, and come in and pray. Because I do want to cultivate that prayer is normal in their lives. I don't want them to become 20 years old and prayer is not a habit that they formed. Because that's the other side of it. I want them to form that habit of prayer. So I'll a lot of times come in and just pray behind them and that and conclude the prayer. Okay. We've become, we've become such a praying family. All the kids want to pray now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good, you know, and encourage that. I mean, that's a, it's a good habit. I mean, it's a good habit to, to form. When you do pray after the boys, do you verbally pray for their salvation to the boys through prayers? We will do that. I mean, and so in our family, um, and we're not perfect by any means. I mean, we we struggle just as much as everybody. But um, what we'll a lot of times do, so we have the dinner prayer, and then we'll pray um, as we go to bed. And so we typically pray for one family um, in the church. We'll go through the directory. And then um, sometimes, and I'll say typically whenever we're praying for other families with kids, 
we will also pray for our kids' salvation as well in that. And so, but there's some nights where I'll just pray for us. Um, Chris and I alternate on the bedtime prayers and where we'll just pray for our boys, pray for their salvation, pray that they would know the Lord. Um, I mean, and, you know, we, I mean, we need to do a better job. We could do better at it. And, uh, but we try to pray for them regularly um, that they would know the Lord and that the Lord would save them. And we, we pray those things right in front of them. And uh, that, that God would show them their hearts, their um, need for a Savior, their sin. And so, depending, um, sometimes we'll pray very specifically for each kid um, with some of the struggles that they're going through, the struggles of their hearts. And because we don't want to hide those things from them, we want them to see them and know them. And so, but a lot of times we'll do that at bedtime where we'll pray that prayer. So, yeah, that's good. So what can we say to someone who says uh, about the scripture saying God repented, God grieved? We know God doesn't change, but what can we say to them that lets them know God doesn't change besides the scripture? Well, um, besides scripture, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, scripture is helpful that we go there because we're we're understanding that uh, there's actions of God and then there's the the being of God, that he is not like man. However, kind of as we were touching on uh, uh, briefly um, before, so God's grieving per se isn't necessarily him changing, but um, it's it's a, you know, think about God's sovereignty and he has ordained all that comes to pass. And in the grieving of his people, um, he is infinitely loving them, directly loving them, dynamically. He doesn't have to increase in love or decrease in love. And so um, in some ways, the grief in the Bible is portrayed, it's portrayed as God grieving, but, but what it is is God's infinite love uh, covering them um, and covering his people because um, he is not turned or changed. He's not surprised, surprised by anything. Um, and again, uh, his hatred for that sin or for that sinner um, is not a reaction. It's because he is infinitely good. And by his nature of goodness, he's opposed to things that are not good. By his nature of loving, he's opposed to things that are not loving. Um, and so that's a difficult one, but um, just thinking in terms of uh, God's love always being um, dynamic and covering his grieving people. Um, and so he's not being moved to that, but he just always is doing that. And so um, it's helpful to have the verses in the Bible because there's something called accommodative language or anthropomorphisms. God, uh, people, uh, the Bible speaking of God in human terms, or uh, another term, anthropopathisms, with his God speaking of God in terms of human passions. And so it's helpful to have. Um, uh, we wouldn't say God has a nose or God has an arm, but we would also say that God isn't grieved or provoked in that same way. Um, yeah, sorry. Right. No, you're, um, what about like whenever Sodom and Gomorrah and people think that um, they're going to be convinced God that, hey, uh, change God's mind, say, if you, if this, there would be this many righteous, this many righteous, yeah. Well, I, I don't see, I think of the same thing with Exodus when um, Moses is praying um, for 
God not to depart his presence from them. Um, I don't necessarily think that God is changing. Those are just ways of speaking. God has ordained those things to pass. However, he has ordained the changes in his actions even, if you want to think of it that way. He's, he's even ordained how he would respond in response to the prayers that he's even ordained. And so there are, that's why in the, in the talk on impassibility, there's a way of talking about God that our language cannot comprehend you know, Sam Ranahan's, you know, we can't, uh, our language can't fully encapsulate God like ocean can't be in a thimble. There's just, it's, uh, it's difficult to, to understand. But um, yeah, I would not think of those things as God changing or the prayer changing. But um, we are changing as God is always true to his will. So, yeah. All right, Tommy, do you want to close us in prayer? Yes. Father, we ask, we come to you, the Lord of glory, and ask that you would create in us a passionate heart, a passion for people, a passion for prayer, a passion to know you, Lord, that deep desire to go forward in our faith by your Spirit because of Christ who has redeemed us and freed us. We pray for our own holiness, our pursuit. And Lord, we pray for that in others. Father, as we go home this evening, I pray for Corey as you prepare him for tomorrow. I think about the Liao's tonight, this afternoon, and, and others who are graduates, Lord, who are about to embark on a new stage of life. We thank you that we have a concern for others. I pray that you would uh, deepen our fellowship, our partnership in the gospel. And we do this not uh, so we might be known, but you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.